0: friends welcome to real talk with rachel i'm your host rachel gilbert and i'm so glad that you chose to tune in today in fact i want you to know that right before i hit record i prayed for you i pray over my podcast listeners and by tuning into this show you fall under that covering i am believing that god's working out things on your behalf even as we speak now if you're new here Welcome. Let me tell you a little bit about the show. This show is a safe space with real conversations to help you live free and pursue your God-given dreams. Oftentimes, God brings things up because they are on the way out. Today's topic is about showing up for God to work in you when you want to shut down. Now, be sure to stick around till the end of the show for a short segment where I share strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. If you're a longtime listener of this show, you might recognize today's guest as she has been here before. Y'all loved her so much the first time that I invited her back to share about her latest book, The Hard Good. Lisa Whittle is the author of eight books, and her wit and bold bottom-line approach have made her a sought-after Bible teacher. She's also the creator of a companion video Bible study for Jesus Over Everything. Lisa is a pastor's daughter and longtime ministry leader in issues relevant to the church. She's the founder of Ministry Strong and the popular Jesus Over Everything podcast, which debuted in the top 25 of Christian podcasts. Her love runs deep, to see people pursue Jesus for life, grow deep roots of faith, and walk strong in the midst of a world that so often seems to have gone crazy. She and her family live in North Carolina. Well, my friends, uh, this show in this episode is another one that you are gonna maybe wanna listen to a couple times through, because it was so good. So let's go ahead and welcome Lisa to the show right now. Well, hello, Lisa, and welcome to the show.
1: Hi,
0: hi. I should say welcome back to the show. You've been This is your second time now on my
1: podcast. Yeah, it's nice to be asked back. Yeah, you're a
0: great guest or nothing but great things about you the first time you were on the show. So, something that I ask every single one of my guests is a fun fact about you not on your bio. Now, before you tell me this times, do you happen to remember what you said the first time?
1: I have no idea. It makes me laugh
0: when I think about it. You told the floss story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm I'm a I'm a manic dental flosser. That is true. Yeah. I'm still I'm still manic about my dental flossing. Yeah. Um, well this might be less fun, but um something people probably would know is before I started writing, I was going to go to study interior design. Like I had the uh, my schedule already ready. I was going to go to the Art Institute of Charlotte, and um, something happened, and I didn't go. So I was literally going to do that. Uh, that was going to be my path. That, and then writing came up, and it literally came up. So um, yeah, that's a little fun fact. That's not on my bio.
0: Yeah, I could totally see that about you. As I'm looking at your beautiful flower wall behind you, I'm like, yeah. That would be fun. (laughs) Well, I love that. Okay, so today we're talking about your most recent book. And what number of book is this for you? Do you remember or do you know? Yeah, of course. It's number eight. Eight. Okay. I've had some authors that have written several books be like, you know what? I don't know. I'd have to count that up. And I'm, so it always <laughs> cracks me up. I'm like, how do you not know how many books you've written? But I think once you pass that double digits, I'll I'll give you some grace for that, you know, like <laughs> if you forget. Um, all right. So today we're talking about the hard good. I always love to hear where an author came with a message because usually it came through stuff they've walked through. So tell us first of all, what that title even means. And then secondly, where the the heart and the passion for it
1: came from. The hard good title um, came in really about 2017. And and it's, I think you'll understand what it means when I tell you kind of the backstory there. Um, My father who really was my favorite person in the world went to heaven in 2017 he had a rare brain disorder and for really for two years i watched him go from a shuffle in his walk to eventually not being able to sit up and comb his own hair and this was a man who was not only just a i mean an incredible orator um a pastor his his whole life but also you know a a hunted grizzly bear a boxer uh you know just you kind of get the picture of, of his personality and so forth. So to go into that state was just a lot to watch. I watched him die sort of in front of me because he he lived real close to me. And so after all that, you know, the Lord just began to work in me. I was already writing. I I was already speaking. I was already doing all of that, but the Lord really challenged me with sort of, Lisa, what are you going to do with all, you know? And, um, I, I knew, in a way what he meant just innately right away because I had a front row seat to my father's life um, as someone who was a, a, a pastor. He was in ministry his whole life. And then he was involved in something that was a very public fall. And I watched that and I watched a man wrestle. And so I knew that the Lord wanted me to use that experience of what I'd watched. And then also the impact it had on me and my own personality and tendencies to run away from hard things. And I knew God wanted me to use that to speak into people in the body of Christ. And so uh, literally the title came to me while I was studying uh, King Saul in first Samuel nine. And so uh, and, and watching him run away from things that God could have used to chisel him with and make him usable in his own life. The hard good really means to me, Things in our life that are hard, that are the most spiritually transformative if we allow God to use them, uh, and also the emotions and the feelings that can thwart us in that process of change.
0: I know for me, the first time I saw the title, it immediately resonated with me. And in fact, I started reading the book when my husband and I were in Mexico, and I think I was probably the annoying girl in the lounge chair next to everybody, because this book is full of so many one-liners that are just mic drop moments, you know, for lack of better words, that I was constantly going over my husband like, oh my gosh, you got to read this. Oh my gosh, you got to read this. And so any book that makes you do that, you know, is going to be good. And I'm just so grateful you went here to these hard places. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you had that front row seat to watching your dad and you knew that the Lord was kind of calling you, okay, what are you gonna do with this? Yeah. Right. You know, like, and I love that you actually talked about this, that how um, God anoints and he appoints, but usability is up to us. So can you explain what you mean by that?
1: Well, I, realized this while I was studying King Saul. Honestly, I was reading first Samuel nine and um, I would began to read some commentary on it, which is a, a normal practice for me. So I was reading about him. I was reading about how he served over 40 years, but in the commentary, it said this, it said, though, he served for many years, Saul never truly became God's man. And when I read that Rachel, i thought to myself this is so interesting because he was anointed and appointed by god we know that according to scripture and uh saul did some good things he prophesied he united tribes but what we remember about him is the hiding in the luggage or you know the deflecting the running the 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 chasing after david so we ha- here we see a gap between possibility and what we really see is here's this possibility for usability, but yet uh, thwarting his own process, right? And so I thought this is so interesting because it's such a picture of us as as humans in this day and time that God anoints us, meaning God gifts us, uh, that's up to him. He appoints us, which really has to do with his sovereignty and uh, where we are at this point in time in our lives. Certainly, we have some, you know, say in that of where we live logistically and what we do for a living and all of those kinds of things. But for the most part, God anoints and appoints us, but we determine our level of usability. So what that means is we can actually hinder ourselves from being used by God in the way that he intends. Because he wants to use us wildly for the kingdom of God. I mean, there's nothing he doesn't want to use Rachel to do. There's nothing he doesn't want to use me to do. Has he gifted me differently than you? Sure, and differently than someone else. But as far as using us, he wants to use all of us. And so instead of constantly thinking that we're somehow not as viable because God has decided we're not as talented or whatever, we need to start looking at what it really is, which is perhaps we haven't allowed God to mold us and spiritually transform us to make us into who we need to be.
0: I love this conversation because I also grew up in the church, pastor's kid, and I've heard about the anointing my whole life, right? Oh, that person's so anointing, anointed, anointed, anointed. And I feel like we've almost created this culture of I'm chasing an anointing, You know, like, oh, I just want the anointing. And we make a huge deal of that, but we don't really often focus on or, you know, get taught to, but are you usable? So what are some of those practically speaking things that keep me from being usable in that way?
1: Well, I mean, that's a great question. I, I, what I have come to realize for my own life, and I think this is, is pretty universal, that the things that God wants to use in our life often are these hard things, right? That's why this these things made the list. That's why they made the book. Uh, and that's why they're, by the way, not just hard, but hard good. Because some things in life, Rachel, I think are just hard, but maybe not as spiritually transformative. But the things that are in this book in particular are the things that I found in my life to be the most life-changing for usability. So, you know, when I began to allow God to help me cheer for someone else who gets something that I really want, for instance, which is in the book, I noticed that that chosen generosity changes something in me. It's made me a different leader. It's made me a different wife. It's made me a different woman. It's made me a different friend. And so that then has helped me rise in my usability level for the kingdom of God, where there were maybe some relationships that I couldn't speak into before because I was too busy being um, envious. And that envy was, was robbing me of the ability to have influence in somebody's life. And um, so those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. So it's really these hard things, things that are hard for us, things that happen to us that are difficult, that we want to push away, but in actuality are the things that are the most important for our spiritual transformation that make us the most usable.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you could say, we all want the good, but nobody wants the hard, right? But you can't get to the good without going
1: through the hard, uh- <laughs> right. For like, one of the things that I felt so important in this book. Uh, it would be a very short uh, book that no one would want to read if I just outlined the hard right? Cause we all know what that is. I mean, certainly I wanted to bring to the surface the things that were the hard parts of the hard good. But in the, what I really wanted to tell people was, here's why these things are a benefit to your life. This is the good in it. If I don't talk about where you're going with it and that's why it's, called the hard good, not the good hard. We end on good, like we're going somewhere with this because most people don't, nobody wants pain. Let's be clear, nobody wants difficulty, but most of us as people are willing to be in it to some degree if we understand that it's not purposeless. It's the purposeless pain that we can't live with. And that's what I found to be true of of most of us in our life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I look back on my life and some of my most painful experiences in hindsight, now that I'm out of them, I realize are exactly what shaped me into not only who I am today, but really even into doing the things that I've dreamed of doing, you know, but I couldn't get there unless I went through the hard stuff. Uh, even just last week, I think, uh, you know, my listeners know I'm writing my first book. And last week I was ready to jump off the book writing ledge, if you will, and say, I'm not doing it. I'm out. This is too hard. Like, uh-uh, I just I can't. And I uh, had a little meltdown moment. And I was talking to a mentor of mine, and she said, Rachel, this is good. She said, discomfort is the cost of taking new territory. And she's like, you got to lean into the discomfort. If you want to take new territory, you got to lean into it. And so I just, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think sometimes people look at the good and don't always see the hard that people had to walk through to get to the good um, and pull that out of there. Today's episode is brought to you by the resource How to Communicate Effectively with Your Spouse or Loved Ones. It has six easy steps to communicate your thoughts and feelings that you can use in any tough conversation. It's a one-page document you can print and keep visible as a reminder. To download this resource, go to rachelgilbert.com forward slash marriage. Okay, we have a lot to get through, so let's go on to the next thing. You, in your book, you talk about 10 hard, good circumstances. Now, we're not gonna go through all 10 listeners. If you wanna know all 10, you gotta buy a copy of the book and go through it yourself. But we're gonna do kind of like a lightning round. I'll bring up the the circumstance and you and I can talk about it. Uh, One of them, the circumstances showing up when you want to shut down. One of the reasons I liked this circumstance that you talked about is because you talk about emotions and you talked about actually a quote from the book I loved, I wrote down. It said, emotions might be bossy, but they're also a consistent truth teller. This is an excellent quality because we need to know where the tripwires are inside our soul to learn how to diffuse them. As a counselor, I got so excited about this because you don't always hear people to tell tell us to press into emotions and see what's there. You know, like don't just ignore them, don't whatever, like look at them. And so let's talk about this bossy emotions versus uh, controlled emotions that are good and seeing what they have to say to us.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, see, this is the problem, exactly what you're talking about, Rachel. It's like we have these two extremes, and we feel like, I think, as you know, we live in a polarized world, right? So I think, you know, a lot of us think we have to choose between these two. We either have to completely ignore that we have feelings or we need to completely live uh, overrun by our feelings. And both of these things have problems. If you believe that, that we shouldn't honor our feelings at all, um, well, I think we know what that's, how, where that's gotten us. That's gotten us to live in secrecy culture. It's gotten us to live in um, stuffing our emotions, which then have led us to have a myriad of problems of which I could sit here and list, and you as a counselor know so well because it's driven a lot of people to visit you. But And I think, I'll be honest, and I am, I am a huge fan of the church. I do think the church has historically not handled feelings and emotions that well. And so faith, you know, people of faith have really struggled in this area because they felt like they had to choose. Well, if I'm if I tap into my feelings and emotions that I'm in some way dishonoring the idea of belief. And listen, I'm a I'm a person who's very strong in belief and conviction. And I want to just say there's actually a third option because here's the thing the the, the other pendulum, which I didn't quite mention that, that the culture has swung to is let's just have emotions and feelings dictate everything that we do. And then let's let that decide for us how we do our life how we decide about, you know, everything in our culture. And as a result, it's gotten us to live very hedonistically and very actually harmed ourselves very, very, very deeply. So here's here's what I want to say about this. What I want to say is the creator of the universe has created us with emotions and feelings. So it makes sense that he would be the one that needs to help us regulate them. So they need to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Those are managed emotions. That is the way that we, our emotions and our feelings will thrive. It just makes common sense. And listen, I'm a very, very, very plain, uh, spoken, very uh, simple thinker. For me, that brings me a lot of comfort because then I don't have to be very, um, I don't have to try to figure this out, Rachel. It's it's like the Lord created me with feelings. The Lord's going to help me manage those feelings because he's the one who created them so he knows how they'll work. So it's very, very important. Otherwise, my life will be managed by feelings on their own and that will get me in lots of trouble and has before, by the way.
0: I love how you just said that we can submit them to the authority of the Lord. And I agree, different messages have made us think, it, it always kind of cracks me up when we think there's anything we can't share with the Lord because he knows it. You know, it's not like I'm really keeping it a secret just because I'm not saying it out loud to him. But something as simple as, hey, Lord, I'm feeling fear today. What's that about? Like, help me, help me wrestle through that, you know, and just bringing it to him. I just love how practical that is, that it does not have to be complicated. It's a matter of bringing it up so that he can work through it with you and um, get to the bottom of it. Okay, I want to jump onto another circumstance and this one. I'd be okay if we stayed here the rest of the time, because I love it so much. Uh, facing tough conversations and uncomfortable truths. As a nine on the Enneagram, I have to say, this has not been something that has come natural for me. Um, but man, the more I do it, the more I go, why don't we do this more often? So what kind of let's start by this. What kind of conversations do you think that we need to be having more of?
1: Well, I list some in the book there. Um, we need to ha- have conversations about a lot of things in the church. I mean, we we need to from the most difficult, which might be abuse. You know, we need to be talking about that. There has there's been a history of not only Um, Emotional abuse, leadership abuse, sexual abuse um, by authority figures in the church. That's happened. That's real. We need to be able to talk about that. We need to be able to talk about that without fear. Uh, We need to be able to talk about relationships. We need to be able to talk about sexuality. Uh, We need to be able to talk about widows and orphans. We need to be able to talk about refugees. We need to be able to talk about all of race. We need to be able to talk about all of these things, Rachel, that are really tough for us to talk about. And the thing about it is, this is what happens when the church doesn't talk about those things. When the church is not willing to have the tough conversations, then culture steps in and says, okay, well, you're irrelevant. You're not willing to talk about it. So let me let us lead The conversation, and then you're just going to be busy responding to uh, all of the claims that we make. And then what happens is church is constantly trying to keep up with what culture is talking about. We, as the church, need to be leading out in conversations for so many reasons one, to get truth out there, two, to show people. We're not afraid to talk about anything i mean these are these are so important i mean if we truly believe that god created sex then we need to be the ones that are leading out in the conversation about sexuality and get truth into the world about what sex really is what a gift it is why it's important what it's all about. Instead, what's happening is we don't want to talk about it because we feel so weird about it ourselves, or we have damage about it, or we're not living purely ourselves. So we'll just let culture talk about it. And then we'll just respond to it or not respond to it. Let's just not respond to it. Let's just keep quiet about it. And As a result, what has happened is we have so many damaging messages about sex and sexuality, and our children and our teenagers are now hearing those messages loud and clear, and that is a huge problem. Can you tell I'm a little passionate about this?
0: Oh, yeah, (laughs) I can feel it through the screen. All right, I have several follow-up questions to that, but the first thing I actually want to define, you know, as you are talking, when we use this phrase, the church, Can you help us find our place in the church? So, for example, I personally do not hold a position of influence or authority in my local church, right? So I'm not up on, you know, and I think a lot of my listeners would say the same thing that um, there are some that do. So then what is my role as a church member, you know, in these, having these hard conversations that it, do I play a role in that? Or is that just something I pray that my leaders will start to do? Or, or what does that look like?
1: No, that's a great question. And I think a lot of people have had that question and and have that question. I'll take it even further. I, I think there are folks who are now saying, if my leaders aren't having that conversation, what do I do? So Let's go back to if I'm not a leader, you know, how what what is my what is my level of responsibility with this? Um, I think it's first of all, I would say every everyone does have a level of influence, whether you have influence in your actual church body as far as where you're going to church on Sunday or whether in that particular institution, uh, as a follower of Jesus, you certainly do have a voice and have influence. You are called to make disciples. And, um, so that's on you still, like you're not recused from your responsibility in your daily life, in your home, around the dinner table, in your neighborhood, with your girlfriends, whatever the case in your family, whatever the case may be. So don't think that just because you're not on staff that you are not up on the you know on the stage on sunday that you there's nothing you can do there is absolutely a lot you can do i mean i know for me in my conversations around the dinner table at home with my children who are um all young adults there has been good work that has happened around our table and those those young adults then go out and have influence in their circles and then they go out and have it. So, I mean, these things are a ripple effect. Uh, as far as in your local church, there are still conversations there that you can encourage. Here's the problem with most people. A lot of people, I won't say most, but I would say a lot of people, a lot of people, if they're not already plugged into their church and serving in some way, it's hard to have a voice with leadership so when you know some of these problems and some of these issues rachel are that you know folks that are just kind of attending and that's i'm there's i'm not shading that i mean you know some of us in seasons of life might not be as plugged into service in our local church maybe we're doing it in our community whatever although i encourage serving in your local church you may not have the, or maybe you go to a really large church and you're just not really in a relationship with the pastor or the leadership. That happens all the time. So um, what I would say to that is you pray for your leaders. You, uh, if you do have any relationship with them, I would have conversations with them that are very honest. Uh, non-judgmental typically works the best. I think when you, you know, I think uh, accosting a person in leadership in the hallway on a Sunday before they're supposed to maybe preach would be not a good method and saying like, why are you not talking about refugees from the stage? Like that wouldn't be a good method. So, you know, I I think there's a lot we can still do. And I would also say that, um, you know, if you're going to a church that you feel like is not addressing things, then you need to pray through that. Um, Is this a place that I want to continue to plant? Because sometimes sometimes. We we grow apart from places of worship and that's okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love how um, just practical this is that we can just take a peek at it. And that's one thing I love about getting to do this podcast. One thing that... Really does grieve my heart. You know, as a nine, I, I do view it as a gift. I I didn't used to view this as a gift, but I really do have the gift of seeing both sides of things and like truly seeing it, not just sugarcoating. Oh, yeah, sure. That's sweet. But like, I really can see both sides. So there's a part of me that my heart goes out to pastors because for me, for example, on this podcast, I can go there and when people get if they get frustrated that i went to a certain place or i talked about something that ruffled their feathers they're just coming at me right you know okay just don't listen to my podcast if you're mad about it or unfollow me on instagram and we're done whereas with pastors they do have more on the line, you know, when they go to those places. Like they're speaking for an organization, and so they do have people they answer to, and and everything. And so I do I feel for them. And so I'm curious, not just with pastors, but pastors and even as individuals. I love. Um, I actually wrote this quote down too because it was so good. And you're on this topic. You said in your book, instead of silencing tough conversations, let's pray to silence our fear of taking them on. And how can we really look at when we're not speaking up, go, Lord, is this you giving me wisdom that it's not the right time yet? Because there is something to be said for timing, you know, and speaking up on things. Or is this fear? You know, what does that look like practically that we can really examine our reason for not speaking up on something?
1: Well, I think, you know, some of it does have to do with our personality, Rachel. I mean, if we're a person that typically doesn't like to get involved uh doesn't like to say anything and we feel something rising in our bones and we, we we really really just feel compelled by it and it continues to compel us that's always a sign to me if something just continues to compel me if i'm praying about it um and often i will pray a prayer of like lord if this is not something from you just let it pass um, if it is, then continue to draw me in my spirit, continue to nag me even in my spirit to, to be something that needs to be addressed. And I will tell you nine out of 10 times, something will go away. If it is a Lisa tangent. And I'll I'll be the first to say, I'm a person that is not afraid to confront things. So for my personality, more of my prayers revolve around, Lord, help me to stay silent. Your prayers or someone else's might be, help me to speak up. So I do think personality does come into play when confronting things. I can get afraid though, as well, um, my fears are might just be a little bit different than someone else's p- fears, but I think all of us, to some degree, have the fear of getting into a conversation with someone that is difficult because of a simple fact: we don't know how it's going to turn out, and and we've seen things go badly. I mean, for for good reason, honestly, it is very difficult for us in this culture to have a hard conversation with someone and it turned out well. And that's one reason why, um, in the book, I give some tips of having a hard conversation because I wanted to help people. I didn't just want to say, Hey, silence your fears. Um, go have hard conversations. I wanted to say, here are some tips because while I, I don't believe that I, or I do believe that, you know, praying and and really being in tune with the holy spirit is the best way to ensure a good conversation um and i'm not quick to always give like here's a quick one two three because steps i think sometimes can get in our way of really dependence upon god i do think in this way and i include prayer in this in this in the tips i do think it's helpful to sometimes have someone come alongside and say here are some tips and a lot of it, honestly, Rachel, <laughs> has been informed by my train wreck conversations that I've had. So in, in some ways I'm saying, here are some tips of what to do to have a hard conversation based on the things that I've done that have not gone well. So I've, here are the opposite things that I think would be really important. And uh, I, I think we we sometimes don't know exactly and we're not going to always have 100 percent certainty Well, this is God telling me to do this. I mean, we would all love if God would give us a poster board sign every morning. I want this, you to have this conversation thus far. I've not had that. God has not spoken to me in the configuration of my bagel seeds. Like I said in the book, but I will just tell you that there is a sense of the Holy spirit as you are uh, walking closely with, with him. That's why I am a big proponent of relationship because You can't just, you know, all of a sudden want him to just kind of start talking to you when you, when you haven't had that over time, um, that will help you maneuver this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, I think these days I see more and more people have an easier time having hard conversations online where you can hide behind a computer screen than face to face, even with your husband or your wife. I can't tell you the number of couples I've counseled that they, there's an elephant in the room. They do not want to go there. And we have to dig into, why don't you want to go there? And usually they don't want to go there because they're afraid of what lies beneath. You know, like, I I don't know what's going to come up if we go there. Right now we're getting, like, we're surviving, if you will, not thriving, but we're at least surviving. So what if we lose the survival? We want to at least hang on to the survival. They're clinging to what is there, even though it's not great, you know? Um, So let's finish up this conversation by talking just a tiny bit about, I'm I'm a little sometimes frightened by, how bold people are in the online space, Um, because to your point, since the church isn't doing a great job of having some of the hard conversations, you're seeing more and more Christian influencers rise up who are happy to have the conversations. But sometimes I read their posts and I'm cringing, especially as a nine and a counselor. I'm like, oh, oh, you're bleeding all over people. Oh my gosh. You know, I can't watch this. is This is breaking my heart. So I know obviously you've some practical tips in your book, but also just even right now for the listeners, any tips on if they decide to get bold on the online space, things they need to watch for, or like check their heart on before they do that? <laughs>
1: Gosh, Rachel, I'm sure it does. I'm sure you do that as a counselor. You know, and I've, I've, I've been quick to say without throughout this whole book, by the way, and in the promotion, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a counselor. I've had some counseling schooling. I've been through plenty of counseling and I come from a with a counselor's heart. So I do bend that way, but I'm really a proponent, people taking this book, The Hard Good, and even processing some of it with a counselor, because I think that would be a powerful one-two combination um, because of so much of what I talk about in the book needs to be processed, I think, with a counselor personally. the online space is a very interesting animal. I think in so many cases, <laughs> I, I want to say to people, this is something that is so not appropriate to chat about here. And I, I I feel like if you'll just take one breather and one step back, you'll really rethink this whole thing. I also think there's a lot of bad theology on online that sounds really, really good. And I can go with about three-fourths of it. And then I get to the end and I think, oh... This is just bad. I'll tell you this. Anything that that is offering help that is apart from the help of God is not um, helpful. Um, It will end in disaster uh, because it will end in some kind of human providing a solution. And that is, that's never going to be good. Um, I think when it's your own uh, your own pain that you're going through, I would highly suggest taking time off of the internet before you post anything. You know, there's been plenty of things that I've really wanted to post, but I find that if when something happens that is really, really deep, that really, really hurts, or that is really, really close to my heart, or even for me because as an eight Enneagram, anything that is really compelling, I need to sit on it for at least 24 hours or Rachel, it will, it will be something that will be feelings driven versus faith driven or compelled by the Holy spirit. So I I would recommend a 24 hour pause for anyone who it is a really, really difficult thing. That would be a comment that you want to make a post you want to throw up. And I would just suggest is, you know, is a post that you're reading or a post that you're wanting to put up is it offering anything that that moves someone away from the help of Jesus Christ because if it does even if it sounds awesome even if it's it's really makes for a great soundbite it, it's just not ultimately helpful to someone so those are a few quick things that come to mind
0: yeah i love how practical those are um well lisa i have a whole page of questions that we didn't get to but that- <laughs> to my listeners, that just means you need to go pick up a book. Um, and before we hop off, I'm going to ask you a couple more things that are just quick questions. First of all, if people could only take away one point from our conversation today, what would you hope it would be?
1: I think I would want them to take away that God is the hope and help. I mean, that 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 is the most important thing. Everything we're talking about centers around that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now tell us all the goodies. Tell us where they can get the book. Tell us about the Bible study, where they can find you, all those things.
1: LisaWhittle.com really houses everything the, the new book, free stuff, podcast information, speaking information. You can take a quiz to find out how you respond to, um, to things. And that is a great thing to take and then process with Rachel when you go see her for counseling. You know, soup to nuts, it's all there. Okay, perfect. And then
0: is the Bible study already available also?
1: But the Bible study is available as well. It's a six-week study. It's got streaming video capabilities with it. It's got a guide that takes you through it. And, and it's really great because it, it, it goes through everything. I, when I talked about King Saul and 1 Samuel 9, I dive into that with a real biblical arc to the hard good. So if you love the Bible, and you want to know sort of how the, the book itself, the hard good, and the biblical arc kind of fit together and what that looked like in practical ways in, in some, a couple of kings, um, I think that you'll really find this to be a kind of a one-two um, powerful combination to do the book of the Bible study together.
0: Perfect. Well, Lisa, thank you for taking the time to come on again. I just appreciate not only your time here, but just how you keep pressing in. You keep delivering the messages that God puts on your heart and you do it with grace and conviction, which I also appreciate. And I will see you back here next time that you come on for your next book.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. And congratulations on yours. I'm cheering you on. Thank you. Thanks, friend.
0: Well, it is time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show that we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps you can implement into your life right now. Now Lisa's book, The Hard Good is full of wisdom, but you might've noticed the one topic that we talked the most about today was all about having hard conversations. Now friend, if these conversations make you uncomfortable, You are not alone. I shared a little bit on the show, you know, how I've had to overcome that. And I just want to encourage you to face these conversations head on without fear. Because if God is calling you to have a hard conversation, he will give you the words to say. In fact, I would even argue I will only have hard conversations if God is calling me to them because I know he's in them, and I know he'll make a way in my heart, in their hearts, and he'll give us both the words that we need to say. So I want to just take this practical segment today and have really kind of two things here. The first thing I want you to consider is ask God to show you what tough conversations he is inviting you into. Do you notice how I said he's inviting you into them? He's not commanding, he's not, you know, demanding or anything like that. He's inviting you into them. Because the the fruit that comes when we're willing to go there. So think about it. And remember, I did mis- mention this in the show, sometimes these are not big public conversations. In fact, most of the time they're not. You know, there are sometimes where we're called to maybe be a voice on a certain platform and different things. But I actually think the art of having tough conversations starts in your own home, in your own marriage, in your own friendships. That's really where it starts. Get good at them there, and then you can consider going out on a public platform and doing them in that way. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm also like, okay, yes, I'll have the hard conversations, Anybody want to give me a how-to? Now, I will just remind you, as Lisa mentioned in Chapter 7 of her book, she actually gives 10 tips for having these hard conversations. I I really cannot recommend this book enough to you if you even were to only get it just for that chapter, which, like, the whole book's awesome, but... These tips are so good. So I'm not going to read Lisa's tips because they're in her book. You can read them there. But I do want to just draw you to three tips that I believe Lisa does mention within the 10, but are also tips that just from a counselor's perspective, I have seen to be very powerful when we're having tough conversations. And here it is. First things first. Lisa mentioned this, and I'm going to back it up. Pray. Do not enter a hard conversation until you have prayed. And I would even say, don't enter a hard conversation until you have you feel released from praying, meaning sometimes I will pray about a hard conversation for days, weeks, even months until the Lord says, okay, it's time to actually have the conversation. I know that's hard, <laughs> but you have got to cover it in prayer. Because prayer, the thing it does is it really aligns our hearts with the Lord's. Uh, some, oftentimes, the Lord will correct me when I'm praying, and then he'll also sometimes correct the other person. And then when we come together, we both are already in a place of humility and recognizing our the things that we have uh, brought to the table that we need to take responsibility for. So pray, pray, and pray some more. That's the first thing, and do not skip that step. The next thing is when you enter into that conversation, really listen to the other person. Don't just come in with all the words that you have planned to say. I think this happens far too often when we enter a conversation with somebody, whether it's a hard conversation or even just a let me get to know you conversation. We tend to have a lot of things lined up that we want to say. And because we're so busy thinking about making sure we get our points across and making sure we share our stories when the other person's talking, oftentimes we're really not listening to them. Because our brain is literally thinking, hey, it's my turn next. Ooh, what am I gonna say during my turn? And we're just already a couple steps ahead thinking about what we're going to say. So we're not really listening to the other person. I promise you, this is life-changing to relationships when you learn to listen. I've done some podcast episodes on this before. If you missed those, I recommend going back and listening to them because the learning to listen is an art that you have to work on. Sure, some people are born with the ability to be good listeners. I love to listen, but guess what? I still, even as somebody who's born with the gift of listening, I still have to practice it. And you're not always gonna be perfect, that's okay. So you apologize to the person. You can simply say, I'm so sorry. I am not doing a good job listening. Can we start over and just learn to listen? So work on that listening skill. And then the third thing I'm going to tell you here, so pray, listen, reflect what they said for clarification purposes. You want to reflect, and here's why. Because oftentimes we hear something, we repeat it back to them, and I'm not talking about repeating back word for word what they said, I'm talking about summarizing what they said and saying, okay, here's what I heard you say, is this correct? Because what happens oftentimes is when we're in these conversations, the person says something to us. And we interpret it in a completely different way. So the reflection piece, when we do that, it does two things. One, it lets the other person know we were listening. (laughs) And the second thing it does is it gives them a chance to correct our misinterpretations. It gives them a chance to go, oh no, actually that's not at all what I meant. And they can correct it or they can add to it or whatever. And so these three things, praying, listening and reflecting in hard conversations are beyond valuable work on these three things and then of course get lisa's book see the other tips that she put in there and i just want to do a very quick but powerful prayer over us when it comes to these hard conversations are you ready lord help us have tough conversations with grace truth and love In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, that concludes our Get Real Practical segment for today. As always, leave those reviews if you have not already. I pray this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.